Hello, my name is Lawrence Woodruff, and I am fully vaccinated. And I'm Michael Rao, and I will be returning to the volleyball court next week. Professional development requires ongoing dialogue and reflection. So lean in as we spend our Saturdays discussing education research and drinking beer. Today, we are drinking the original Scotch Whiskey Barrel Aged Ale from the Ennis & Gunn Brewing Company. Scotch Whiskey Aged. It's yellower than I typically like. I'm not familiar with Ennis, uh, Ennis & Gunn. Where are they? Uh, they're not, I don't think they're in the US. In Perth, Ennis & Gunn Brewery 22, Iverl Mon, PL, Perth. Perth. I don't know what that We're going to learn where Perth is right now. Well, goodness gracious, I need to just look up Innocent Gun. Not looking up Perth. Where's Innocent Gun? Innocent Gun is Scotland. That's good. The, the whole, like, does this match my estimate for the problem? And if it doesn't, then I need to investigate further. Yeah, that's good. We'll, then we're going to come more into that later. So what are we doing today, teacher? This month, we are thinking about thinking. We read a review of the applied research on retrieval practice, which recognizes the difference between learning something and knowing something. We reflect on the ways this has played out in our classrooms and what we can learn from recent studies for how to improve our use of the technique. Later, we read a piece on translational research that makes recommendations for how to help students improve their ability to engage in metacognition. There is also one more thing before we get started. Hey everyone, this is Future Michael. Before we get started, I wanted to acknowledge what you may have already noticed. We had some recording problems this past month, and one of our service algorithms has really caused problems with my audio. And so my tape is going to be this way through the entire episode. We're going to do what we can to make sure it doesn't happen in future months, but for now, we do apologize. Now, let's get started. For our first segment, we read Retrieval Practice Consistently Benefits Student Learning. A Systematic Review of Applied Research in Schools and Classrooms. This was written by Pooja Agarwal, Ludmilla Nunes, and Janelle Blunt. Published in Educational Psychology Review in 2021. Uh, see, so I, this for two, I queued this paper for two reasons. Number one, um, Dr. Agarwal, which I'm not, I'm not certain that's how you say her name, but that's how I've always said her name. I'm just, I'm just a big fan of her work. Uh, she does good stuff and has a good Julian publications and is really an, uh, an expert. I'm even going to say the leading expert on retrieval practice, which is something that you and I both care about. It's something that shows up in both of our classrooms. And so I am always eager to read fresh material from Dr. Agarwal and anybody else fortunate enough to write with her. Uh, if you're looking for co-authors, Dr. Agarwal, I will write about literally anything you will let me join you in writing with. And the second reason I queued this paper is because this lines up well with something you said you want to get into and is actually our theme for this entire month, which is kind of metacognition and self-evaluation and self-reflection. Um, and so retrieval practice, I think, can, can play into that picture. I was excited to see this title uh, just because uh, when you, it's a practice that I heavily systemically normalize and rely as a cornerstone of my practice, really. My classroom is actually built around retrieval practice at this point. It is the fundamental cornerstone of what my students experience in my classroom. And um, so when there's, you know, 
potential new information, I want to make sure that I have a good understanding about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how I can do it better. So, you know, new research about something that I'm heavily leaning on uh, is good. Is good. Yeah. So what's tricky is that I had never considered this as an opportunity to do a better version of our second episode, uh, which is kind of interesting because I bet now that I bet when we finish this discussion, I'm going to go back and I'm going to listen to that second episode and it's going to be so like cringy and terrible. <laughs> and, yeah, okay. and, but on the, uh, on the same time, that four years ago person is probably going to say some things that I'm going to overlook in our discussion today. And then that will be interesting because that is kind of what retrieval is about. It's going back through what you know about something and uh, being able to uh, communicate that knowledge, apply that knowledge, and then build uh, on that knowledge by making connections with new information that you are engaging in. There was an event in my classroom earlier this week where I was trying to get a student to use a particular vocabulary word. And he said to me, I just don't know it. I just don't know this word. And I said, and then kids in the class were like, no, we think you know it. We think you know this word. And I say, I think you know this word. I think, I think you know this word. I bet you know this word. And we were really working as a class, like the whole class, and this really felt good, to try to um, give him some kind of relevant information that would help him build a connection in his mind from what he knew to this word. And we tried as a class for about 10 minutes to try to give him all of this different kind of uh, information to get, the, get him to say this word. And, uh, and we failed. And ultimately, we gave up and we said the word and he was like, oh yeah, I remember that word. And it was a perfect example of the difference. And I had to tell him, you're right, you didn't know it. I had to tell him the difference between knowing something and recognizing something. Recognizing something, when you, when, when you recognize something, it makes sense, it fits, you can put the parts together, you, you understand it. Um, but knowing something means you have command of that information and can pull it out of your head and apply it and edit, revise, and improve it situationally because it's a part of what you've got inside of you. And to get knowledge so deeply ingrained in that level of someone's mind requires a lot of work. Well, what I like about that story is I remember at least, especially for myself in my early days as an educator, treating forgetting like the enemy. Oh no, I forgot this thing. Maybe I didn't learn it or maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just an inadequate human or other really negative, negative um, postures towards that forgetting process. Um, but forgetting is is good. Forgetting is part of how we learn and how we come to develop competency in a topic. I, you know, if we have so many experiences that are like fully formed thoughts in our working memory, and most of them are useless, and we need to forget them, and that's fine. And so, even if I have like the most revelatory, like spiritual experience with content, and this, I I have this this concept of biology that is beautiful and it reveals itself to me and I fully understand its relevance and its complexity and I put it all into my working memory and I come back to it a week later, my brain is going to appropriately start to say, hey, was that important? Because we got other stuff to make space for. So 
So we're just going to throw some stuff out. This piece, yes, is still there, but that piece is gone. We're, we're pruning this neural pathway. And, and so some of the pieces are going to be gone. And that's fine. And so a week later, even though I definitely learned that information at the time, I will have forgotten some of it. And so when I attempt to know that information a week later, I won't know some of it. The process of pulling it out of my long-term memory and putting it back into my like conscious awareness, that retrieval process is going to get some of it, but it's definitely not unlikely to get all of it. And so that knowing process is distinct than what it meant to know it in the first place, to learn something and then put it into my long-term memory. And so my brain say, well, here's what I got from that. And some of it we forgot, but some of it's still here. Was that important? Do you need any of that? Is that uh, can, we, can we throw the rest of this out? What's the deal with this? And so that process of putting it back into my conscious awareness and telling my brain, hey, we need to get that back out. That's still important. I still need to know that. Helps your brain prioritize the information that it's trying to put into its long-term memory. And so that practice of putting it all back into your awareness, identifying the gaps and filling them back in, applying them to new situations, helps your brain prioritize and scaffold and put it back in and make that knowledge more durable and more robust. And so that forgetting process is part of the process. And so it's not the enemy, it's the, if it's important, we've got to return to it. So we can reinforce those neural pathways and we can reinforce even the process of putting it back into our awareness in the first place. So that as you were describing, I have command of that knowledge when I need it on demand. And so the retrieval practice is an intentional approach to say, what do you know right now? You learned it definitely, sure, okay, but do you know it right now? And then identify what you do and don't know so you can go about adding back into it so that you can be better equipped to know more of it next time. One of the, I, we, we say retrieval and we really mean, you know, remembering things, right? Pulling stuff out of your head, right? Like pondering what's back there and then bringing it to the forefront, as you said, into your working memory and your conscious memory so that you can use that and think about that information. But the key term is actually retrieval practice. The practice, making it a systemic part of the studying experience, the study cycle, the instructional cycle, the formative assessment cycle, whatever it is the individual is doing to learn, making sure that they have multiple opportunities to practice uh, pulling that information out for uh, analysis or application. And we, they need multiple opportunities. And... Uh, that's really important because it's in those multiple opportunities that the the details that actually consistently matter get highlighted. And so the importance of the information and the connections between that information and the utility of that information gets highlighted to our mind when we make this a practice. That is a different goal than have them um, maybe recognize things on maybe a standardized test. What we have to do to recognize information and what we have to do to retain and use information are different things. They wrote a paper about this. Uh, and the beginning of this is, we've talked about this and we had an episode about it four years ago because the, the idea of the value of retrieval practice is pretty rock solid by this point. It's really well established by the research base. A tremendous amount of it contributed to and built by these authors. And so um, there's not really any question that retrieval practice is effective at the like theoretical abstraction level. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that in our classrooms? Yeah. Because Mr. Woodruff, what you do in your classroom and what I do in my classroom are pretty different. Yeah. And they're not the only two ways that they could be done. Right. 
And so the question is, what does it look like to do retrieval practice in a classroom? How do I interweave new information with old? How often do I do it? What, what tasks should I use? And what's the effective scaffolding for it? And the questions of application go on and on and on. They were trying to find the circumstances where really, these are the circumstances where you get a high return on retrieval and uh, you should lean on it. And here are some circumstances where maybe the return's not so good. They wanted that find those circumstances. A tremendous amount of this paper was about like their, their search methods and their statistical techniques. And we're just going to just skip all of that. I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to imply that their paper was bad. What I meant to imply as their paper sort of reports is that they can't find a reason not to do it or a circumstance where it doesn't really help a whole lot. Yeah, the short version the short version of their classroom recommendations was do it. Do retrieval practice. Don't even really worry about the details, just do it. Though the retrieval can look like a lot of things. Let's give our audience a general map of what it looks like. Um, so there is some kind of instructional experience. That could be any type of thing. That could be a flat, straight, 90-slide PowerPoint. That could be um this is a hands-on inquiry lab experience, and I, you have this investigative goal. Go, go at it. Uh, it could be um, read these articles and give me a little synopsis, uh, or not even get it a synopsis. Just read these articles, or it could be watch this tutorial video. Like the instructional experience could be any any instructional experience that anyone wants to craft. But then, after that instructional experience. And I guess we're going to get into the delay about how much after the instructional experience we would do this. The students have to create something. They create something that reflects their understanding of that instructional content or experience. If you were trying to teach them a, a laboratory technique, then maybe they would retrieve what they think the steps are to do the thing. Or if it was some chemical process, maybe that was it. Or maybe it was the class dynamics of some historical event, then maybe they would write what they knew about those class dynamics. Although that's kind of unlikely because in their sample, it was definitely skewed pretty heavily. They didn't have very many representations of the humanities or social sciences. Like the vast majority were represented in either science or psychology. And almost no, like, like almost no studies from high school level. That's unfortunate. Yeah, which kind of, which bums me out. Uh, and that's as an, so this isn't really for tape, but just as an aside, I noticed that because that was my mother's dissertation. So we know a researcher who did a study that's that I think should show up in the next review that happens. So I don't know where we are. So I'm going to sort of re reestablish that it is not done very often in a typical education experience because it's time consuming and it's somewhat burdensome yeah it's hard so if you it, so it we can be um persuaded by lots of factors and lots of pressures to replace the students creating of their understanding with something that attempts to assess their understanding a different way, like perhaps multiple choice tests or um, uh, worksheets where they fill in blanks 
or other kinds of activities. Well, you learned it. This is our activity where we are, you know, checking to see what you got back there. And then later we're going to have a test over it. And that, though that is fast, convenient, easy to analyze, those activities do not provide students the opportunity to reach the depths of what they have in their long-term storage and pull it out to authentically identify what they know. And so replacing what is convenient with something that is effective but burdensome uh, is a difficult step to take. I was going to say, why should people take that step? I... This is where we just say all the numbers are good. That's you want your students to know anything? All the numbers are good. It, what are we here to do, right? We, we declare our priorities with our time. And so if it takes a bunch of time to practice knowing something, but I mean, I, I work from the position in my classroom that we're here to know something. And so like, that's the first place I put my time is how much time do I have to invest in you knowing my highest priority, like learning objectives. And that's just, we just, we pay that piper until they know it. And then if we could do other things, we definitely do other things and it's worth it. And I'll, I'll point it out, like knowing stuff feels good. And once you, once you start to really know something and have command of something really fundamental and foundational in your classroom, adding to it, you can start to pick up some speed, ladies and gentlemen. And that, that's been something that we didn't get to feel quite as much this past year. But when we get to go back to classrooms and we get to work with students and build those relationships and commit to the same kind of daily um, investment that we've been able to make in past years. And you start to accelerate the way you can in like a third quarter or a fourth quarter where you've got the practice, you've got the cultural buy-in, you've got the bedrock command of some of the really fundamental ideas. Growing those ideas, you can really start to accelerate. And so it's not, you're not sacrificing learning something later. You're recognizing that going through those superfluous behaviors of recognition and forgetting is the alternative to investing in knowing something and really having command of it. My two choices are not getting through a lot and knowing a little bit. My two choices are seeing a lot and ending up at the end of the year not knowing very much or seeing less, but having deep, robust command of that information and being in a position where I can add to that information and bring it to bear on new problems in effective ways. And that choice is much easier to make as far as I'm concerned. And so this review was not really coming from a position of we need to convince you that retrieval practice is worth doing because prior reviews have done that. They're saying, what does it look like to do that well in a classroom? And they identified a couple of pieces of that story that you were telling where um, maybe we can think a little more, maybe future research can help us understand a little better. And one of them is we've said that learning becomes more durable, which means that students know things and they know them for longer. But how much longer? Like, how durable is it? And so that was one of the things they looked at in this study was if I do this retrieval practice exercise and then assess at a later time, how much later can I go where I'm still seeing some degree of benefit from that retrieval practice? And this was interesting because what we saw in the previous reviews from those more theoretical, more experimental studies and what we see in classroom practice are opposites. It was super surprising. And so what they saw here was that in the classroom, a shorter delay between the retrieval practice and the assessment, like the final assessment opportunity, led to a larger benefit from the retrieval practice. 
And like, I can put a narrative around that. That makes sense to me. But that's actually in conflict with what they saw in the lab research, like the more experimental stuff, where they saw the opposite, that longer delays led to a larger benefit. And so they basically the authors are like, that's weird. We need to look into that. We're like, we don't know. And so like, it looks like maybe there's something more complicated happening, or maybe we just need more research to fully understand the pattern. But like, whether or not you're doing a retrieval practice in September to get ready for uh, a coming classroom assessment that's happening next week, or to get ready for a standardized test that's happening in April, Retrieval practice is good. Like, it's just good for either scenario. And it's not super clear about which one is better, but it's good for both of them. The, uh, the delay effect is less important than the moments in my classrooms when my students realize that the work that they have put into developing this idea has grown to a point that they, it's, they know so much and it is so detailed and so complex and so thorough that they can't, a, a sheet of paper can't hold it. When a student gets to that point, because they've retrieved this topic so much and they've added to it and they've connected to it and it grows and it grows and it grows to the point that it's larger than a sheet of paper, they are so proud of themselves and so happy at literally knowing things feels good and they feel so good and they've impressed themselves by how much they know, that's when I got them. That's when I have them. One of my goals as a teacher is that my students become lifelong learners. And by concretely showing them through this process of learning, creating, and the, assessing their work to improve it and add to it, they can they can see how that process concretely because we can look at their earlier creations and compare them to our later the later creations and they can see that growth that is inside them uh, and they know that they can teach themselves anything they want for the rest of their lives and uh, it, to me the delay question is such a such a insignificant detail about when should I assess them properly because they know that whatever they were deficient in in that assessment they can learn that too that's sure so it's not particularly resonant to you but like for your AP students like this, like this is specifically applicable to um, to the AP students I taught also because I remember like when I made this shift to my AP biology classroom and so like we invested ourselves we invested ourselves in biochemistry and cell signaling pathways deeply. Like we were, we were there. We were there for a long time because you know it, it's hard to learn to do this in addition to learning the content. But we were there. And we we put in our effort and we got there. We we really we really got command of that information. Then we went to other topics and we shifted our focus. And so throughout the whole you know school year, we were moving through the different components of an AP Biology curriculum. And about middle of March, starting to think about the AP exam and like whatever you think about AP exams, it mattered to these students and it mattered in dollars and cents style. Like it, it, it had real implications for their ability to pursue their career goals on the timelines that mattered to them and the money they were going to have to pay to do it. That like real implications for them. So my question was, how do I approach retrieval on some of these ideas to set them up for the most success possible on this exam they've chosen for themselves? And I remember being fairly ill-equipped ill to answer that question. And so I was like, well, 
you know, it's it's March and it's been five or six months since we had like an explicit conversation about some of these like, you know, enzymatic pathway conversations. And so like it's time it's it's we're not going to review the same way we used to in my old in my old paradigm. But it's time to like, let's talk about how much they remember from the before from like from the beginning of the semester um, as we start thinking about what it takes to be ready for the exam. And so like I'm I'm going to hit them. I'm going to just surprise them. Like, let's, let's have a let's have a let's have a gut check moment. I'm going to get one of my alternate exam like prompts. Like it's a, it's a full problem about some enzymatic pathway. And like, I'm not telling them it's coming. I'm just like, they walk in, they're like, here's today's retrieval practice. And it's not from yesterday's information. It's from information six months ago. Do what you can. And like, we had the culture that was, that was going to be okay. And then like, they'll remember some, maybe some of it. And we'll have a conversation about forgetting and, and what it takes to bring this stuff back up to speed. So I hand it all out and, and they're, and like, I see a couple of like eye rolls and groans as they like sit down and, I, and I'm like, all right, this is happening. And then like, I don't know, in like 70% of the time that it usually takes for them to do this sort of exercise, they're starting to like look up and be ready to like get their second color out and revise it. Like, well, we got what we got. And I was like, how was it? And they're like, yeah, this is stuff we did last semester. And I was like, yeah, it is. And they're like, okay, well, so what do you want me to like, like I can, I can get my book out and add to this if you want, but I know everything in the book is this. So like, what do I, what? what's next i was like what do you mean what's next like did did you remember any of it like we remembered all of it i was like really like this and this and they're like yeah and then that and that and that and this and then like we learned some other stuff since then that kind of applies i looped that in also like you know like what did you want us to write and i was like oh my god like i I literally had to go back to my planning and be like okay so all this stuff i thought i was going to do is irrelevant like i just wasted their time for 60 minutes like let's keep going like this was just not necessary because their knowledge was durable and when it became salient like boom and that wasn't just like one student that was the whole class they were like why are you trifling with this what are you doing like let's we know this and i was like you do you sure do uh and so like it 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 takes some of that pressure off of well when do we do our review days and like in september is when you do the review days like know it the first time and make it durable and make it meaningful, and then they got it. Yeah. One of the things that works pretty well with retrieval is uh, sort of mastery models of assessment where the goal isn't to, you know, what do I need to know for the test? That's not the goal. The goal is what is a mastery, complete, detailed, articulate understanding of this material looks like. And let's work with our students and work with ourselves until we get to that level. Because once we get to that level and everything is coherent and everything connects and we can articulate it all, well, then we have something stable. We have something where maybe a few of the parts erode but it's not going to be shattered to dust and, and, and blowing in the wind. Uh, the bedrock stays. And that only stays when there's so much understanding of all of the intricate connections that the information supports itself. The information is self-supporting because all of the details connect. And so when you start thinking about it, you think about it in these big networks of of understanding and then those networks are durable because anything any part of the information reminds you of all of the other information and when you practice that 
then anytime they see any part of the prompt in any other context, they'll remember all of the information. Uh, there was one other piece in this paper that uh, they pointed out that was, um, I think, worth bringing up, and that was about the uh, timing of feedback on their work. And so uh, that's different from like the time when you assess it. But this is about like during the act of practice, how quickly do students find out like what 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 do I know? Is do I know do I know it all? Do I know some of it? Do I have errors in here? How quickly do I get feedback on what I have during that act of practice? And this one was interesting, or I'm gonna say a little surprising to me, because in my career I have pretty much always fought the battle of get them feedback sooner. I just generally assume however fast I'm giving them feedback, it needs to be faster. Like go faster, Ralph. Um, and so what was interesting here was in their, in their group of studies, remember this is a review, so they didn't do the research themselves, they were looking at lots of studies, and most of the studies gave instant feedback. And they saw across all the studies where they were getting instant feedback, saw all the different levels of impact. You saw some of them had very little impact, some of them had some of the biggest impact, it like ran the whole gamut. But then there were a handful of studies, not very many, but there were a handful of studies that had delayed feedback, so students engage in this act of retrieval and then not right away, they find out how good it was or what revisions they needed. And in that small handful of studies, they only saw medium and large impact compared to there were then also a subset of studies in their review where they did not give the students feedback at all. Those studies were terrible. Like that's don't do that. You got to give them feedback. They got to be able, like practice is only as good as the revisions, the prompting on for revisions that you get. And so Definitely, you got to give them feedback. But in this small, it's a small group. Like I, I got to emphasize, there's only a few studies that did the delayed feedback that gave me pause because I've always sort of assumed that faster feedback is better. But letting them spend some time engaging in their own analysis is how I interpret that. Like if I have to judge for myself, what do I still know? How good is this? I think that that's probably a productive exercise. One of the things that I really like when my students are starting to create their retrieval practice and they're trying to they're they're creating you know their understanding of the of the information that they pull out of the head and they leave blank spaces they're like something i don't know about goes here something and it's this big like and 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 i know that there is a reason here and i don't know what it is and i don't know why this happens but i know that it's important that it does and that kind of ability to see the, the holes in your understanding is critically important for being a continuous lifelong learner. Being able to identify what you don't know and the utility of the information that you don't know. If I knew that, if, if I had this type of information, I could do this. Like that, that's so powerful and so valuable, but it only comes apparent to the student when the student is creating the depiction of understanding. When I create them a depiction of understanding, a test, yeah, label this picture, they say, oh, I don't know that. So I'm gonna get this wrong. That's, that's the narrative they have. But when they are creating the picture and they have to recognize, I, I can't put words to this. I need to, I need to know what this picture is I'm talking about. Um, they create a need to fill the gap within themselves and then they do it and that's the feedback that's like well 
And the thing is, the feedback doesn't have to come from the teacher. We say there's a delay between feedback. That feedback doesn't have to come from the teacher. That can, they, that can come from another peer. That can come from some sort of uh, authoritative source. Uh, the students can self, uh, self-identify the feedback. Like, these are the things that I don't know. I'm going to go look them up and then fill them in myself. Uh, that, that, it's so liberating as an instructor to be able to leverage so many sources of knowledge in the classroom and acknowledge them all as valid contributors that it doesn't have to come from you. And in that way, you know, the, 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 the pop phrase student-centered classroom, but you do decentralize yourself as the knowledge authority when you allow them to get feedback to edit their own work from any of many valid sources. And that's empowering to them as well because it again uh, illustrates and gives them opportunities to practice the skills to continue learning whatever they want for the rest of their lives. Make better mistakes. So for our second segment, we read Metacognition in Education, Translational Research. This is written by Jennifer Cromley and Andrea Coons. And this was published in Translational Issues in Psychological Science in 2020. To continue our theme of sort of a student self-assessment um, and uh, reflection on their progress, this is a paper about metacognition. Uh, it, it's... I don't know what the phrase translational research means. And it was used all throughout this paper over and over and over again. And I, of course, I didn't realize why I had a hard time with this paper. It's a short paper. It's six pages. It's not a tough read. But uh, it was, I was having a hard time understanding what they were actually telling me other than like, here are some qualities about metacognition. I, I have what I assumed it was, but I didn't look it up. I'm not. Look at us. Let's, let's edit, revise, and improve our understanding. Translational science is about the shoulds. <laughs> it's like, this is what the science says. So what? Let's, let's take the shoulds from this. How can we take what the science says and turn it into shoulds? Uh, so this paper was focused on the shoulds for metacognition. And so that's really... Uh, metacognition was a word that I had a love for it imbued in me in my teacher preparation program. We, it was really a high priority there. Um, students thinking about their thinking is really what it is. So how, how am I doing navigating this problem? Or how am I coming to this particular conclusion? Or what will be my next steps in trying to solve this problem? It's about self-observation, especially with regard to our thinking processes. And so this, uh, this, they gave a little bit of a theoretical context I think might be useful. This, this sits within executive function in our brain. And so metacognition is thinking about our thinking processes, and it kind of happens alongside. There's a division now between cognitive strategies, which is like, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to approach solving this problem? And then how am I thinking about this problem, which is what metacognition is really about. The, the, the takeaway is that it can be taught and it has benefits. Not a lot of yeah. So, uh, so the, the problem, and I don't want to say it, it's not a problem. 
this paper illustrated a lots of different types of metacognition, some opportunities uh, to, to, to teach metacognition. Um, but it, it, wasn't, it didn't tell us how to teach metacognition. It just says there are these, ty- there are these avenues that one can be aware of their thinking. There are these benefits for being aware of one's thinking. So look for those opportunities and then teach them during those opportunities. And so this paper convinces me that I should draw more attention to metacognitive opportunities. But what do I do if I do not know how to do that? Read a different Yeah, read a different paper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Read a different paper. Yeah. 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 Well, it's only six pages, right? So, like, so it's not very, it's not very long. But the uh, there are a few things that they did lay out that I think are useful. And the first one is, um, if we're going to help students improve their metacognition, then we have to make it visible to them and to us, so we can talk about those processes and help them improve those processes. And that can be tough because meta- metacognition is pretty abstract. Yeah. Right. It, there's a lot of there are a lot of things that we can't see stacked on top of one another before we get to where metacognition sits. And so they describe a few examples of how some of the research has tried to make that thinking visible. And I'm trotting out that phrase as a huge shout out to one of my former coworkers, uh, Dr. Steve Obenhaus, because that was like his prime area of practice uh, as a mathematics educator is make student thinking visible. That's an essential component of how we do it well. And he's right. And so there's a few examples of, you know, some studies have asked students to, to um, just do like a think aloud, like just verbally narrate their thought processes to the best of their ability on a moment to moment basis as they work a problem. And so, so I might ask students, you know, what, take a look at these, these 10 numbers. What do they have in common? And just say out loud every thought you have to the best of your ability. And so as students make observations and as they internally test ideas, they can, they can speak to us the things they're noticing and how they're going about solving that problem, which can give us avenues to identify the, the processes they're using that are effective and draw to their attention maybe some other things that would be useful for them to know. Um, that has the limitation of being a self-report thing, and so we can only help them with the stuff that they are willing to say out loud. Yeah, are willing to say out loud. Yeah, well interesting that you go to that place because uh student mental wellness and mental health issues has become an important torch that that i carry uh, these past couple years and so we spend time in class explicitly talking uh and and teaching about mental wellness and mental health issues and one of the like you know cornerstone practices for improving mental health is uh mindfulness which is the skill of being able to check in and acknowledge your emotions uh and like so how how am i really feeling right now uh and sort of recognize that you don't just have to be consistently responsive to the circumstances but you can check in and see how you're feeling and then assess you know how is what i'm thinking how is what i'm doing contributing or 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 regulating my current emotional state. Like I can't regulate something that I'm not aware of. So let's train the awareness to be in touch with how we're feeling and then choose to 
acknowledge that feeling and then respond to it in a healthy way. That's, that's mindfulness. And so I've never thought about metacognition before uh, in the same way, but they actually talk about some, uh, they make some references to monitoring emotions, motivation, and behavior within the paper. And so then metacognition is sort of like checking in, how is my cognitive thinking? Like, what, what is my cognitive thinking like right now? Is this an effective way to be thinking about this problem? Is this an effective way to be communicating about this? Uh, it's, it's sort of an abstract um, uh, check in to your, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I guess I don't, I guess I just say cognition because it's metacognition, but yeah, and it's cognition. I guess that's the word. Uh, that's why it's the term metacognition, but but it's, it's the same emotional check, but for your, your logical thinking, perhaps? Maybe not even logical thinking, just the thinking that you're... Your conscious thinking, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a check on your conscious thinking. Uh, and that is a refreshing way for me to think about metacognition because then those two skills can overlap with each other. And if our ability to stop and think, hey, what, what am I really thinking and how am I working myself through this overlaps and is reinforced our ability to say, hey, I, I actually am really uncomfortable right now. I, I would like to change some things in this situation and how I'm behaving or how I'm interacting or how I'm communicating. Those are... Um, uh, those skills are intertwined with each other and reinforce each other and improve each other. So uh, I find I will now be able to see more opportunities to practice and scaffold and support metacognition before because I can hitch it onto this other thing that I'm already trying to do with my kids in my classroom. Listen, plan, and play. How was the beer? Uh, I liked it. I even think that I'm aware. I think I even can detect the like the bit of you know sharpness that comes from the the scotch, the aging in the scotch barrels. Um, it's a lighter ale. Like I think even a couple of the barrel aged ales that we've had have been a, had a little more body to them than this one. And so like it's barrel aged, but like it drinks. I want amber bock is the is the thing that comes to my mind. Um, so I like it. I like it just fine. Um, I would drink several more even. Uh, I don't know that I do backflips for it, but I like it. One of the things that I can dislike about ales is the finish. And this one has a muted finish. So it has less of the things that I dislike about ales, which makes it a fine ale. What's the APV on this thing? 6.6. So this is like a this is like a a complex and interesting domestic. Ironic because it's not. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, not at all. But the like, but it's in that category of like if I was going to go to a bar and order a Coors Light, if I was in the mood to order order Coors Light, I would order this, and I would it would satisfy that same inclination but be a more interesting drink. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. This has been another month. I hope that your spring is wrapping up and that everybody. Thank you all for listening for another month. We appreciate you, you having. Uh, I like it when you say da da, da 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 whatever the message you want to say, whatever blessing you want to say and well wishes and whatever. 
And I also want you to tell them that we like them and that we want them to have happy, peaceful lives. And so whatever, whatever it is that you want to tell them. Yeah. I, I both believe in that message and don't have a clear articulation of the message. We want you to be safe. We want to, you know, we want you, we, I actually, we hope what I want for all of you, for all of us is to um, continue to be safe and responsible, but also um, allow ourselves to enjoy the small steps toward normalcy that we are all taking communally. Yeah, because this is an incredibly hard job anyway, and an incredibly hard year. And so you are justified in taking care of yourself. You are justified in protecting your safety and the safety of your loved ones. Uh, you are justified in pursuing your job to the best of your ability. And you are justified in making those choices yourself. And I don't presume to know what that looks like for you. Yeah. We are better together. We, and we want to improve. So as we pursue growth, discuss research and struggle well.